Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 262. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 262 you're listening to. My guest today is Jordan Richter, and Jordan has a very different story compared to our other guests. And in fact, his is almost the inverse of the recent interview I did with Scott Evans, where Scott was leaving his coding day job to do audio full time. And Jordan's story, like I say, is the inverse of that. He is leaving audio to do coding full time. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the decision process that led to that and his background. And truth be told, he is not 100% leaving audio because he still runs Room 13 recording in Portland, Oregon, and will continue to have that for the foreseeable future. When I emailed Jordan, he replied back and he said, I just got my first non-audio job in over 25 years, and I'm in the process of getting out of the industry. Still want to talk to me? And I said, absolutely, because I think there's value that comes from that discussion. And it gives another perspective here within those working in the trenches. So very excited to bring you this interview, and I hope you enjoy the perspective. Jordan Richter coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about some random stuff. As many of you know, I'm a big fan of networking and coffee. If you are ever coming to the Bay Area and you are a diehard working class audio fan, even a moderate working class audio fan, reach out. Connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message and let me know of your travel plans. And I will do my best to make time in my schedule to meet up with you at a local coffee shop in San Francisco or Oakland. Those are generally two major cities that, you know, we can make it work in. I'm actually getting ready to go out to to have coffee with... uh, WCA listener Terry Bridges, and uh, he's come a long way to the Bay Area, so I am certainly going to honor that travel and uh, go and meet for coffee. So, yeah, join me for coffee at some point. You know, it doesn't have to be an epically long coffee. You know, we could sit down for 30 minutes to an hour and just chit-chat about whatever you want to talk about. Be happy to uh, meet up with listeners. I think that's always uh, that's always fun. It doesn't always work out, you know. Sometimes I'm in the middle of projects and can't do it. But if you give me a heads up, I can do a little bit of planning, and that is always a good thing. Speaking of planning, I want to turn you on to a piece of software that I have been using and enjoying. It's called Asana. Let me go over there. It's a s a n a dot com. It's basically a project management kind of workflow piece of software. You can use it for free uh, if your needs are greater than what the free version offers. You can, of course, pay. There's uh, different pricing levels. And why do I like it? Well, for example, um, I have a list of potential WCA guests. Let's see. All right, so I have a list here that I'm looking at, and I can look at my list in a list view or a board view. I like looking at it at the board view. And the board view shows me potential interviews, people I've contacted, I'm waiting on a reply, 
people I'm waiting to schedule and scheduled interviews and complete interviews. These are all columns and I can drag the, the guests to the different columns. So for example, I see right here, our last episode, Dave Gardner is still sitting in the scheduled area. I'm gonna move him over to complete. And Jordan Richter is also in the schedule. I'm gonna move him over to complete because he's complete and you're gonna hear that today. So it's a great piece of software. And if you need something to help you organize projects, whether it's songs you're working on, on a record, you know, maybe you want to create columns that say, you know, you know, drum tracking complete, vocals, guitars. People do that all the time on, on dry erase boards. If you want to put that into a piece of software, access it on your phone or your computer or your tablet, it's a really cool thing. And I'll put a link in the show notes. I find it very useful and hopefully you will as well. That's my organizational tip for you for today. Asana, yeah, super cool software. Okay, what else? 2019 is coming to an end, and of course, we will be starting a new decade in 2020. Very exciting. But with that always comes reflection, right? And uh, I am reflecting on all of the stuff in this studio, and I'm thinking, I got to get rid of some of this crap. There's a lot of cool stuff here that uh, some others would get some use out of. There's some bits of pro audio gear and some records. They just need to go because they're not seeing any action here in my place. I will put a link in the show notes to my Reverb.com store. And as I put stuff up, you can monitor that and decide whether or not you want to become the new owner of some of this stuff that I'm talking about. And on that note, I would encourage you, if you're a bit of a pack rat, to uh, start the purge. And you might remember long ago, for those of you who've been listening to the show for some time, that I'm a big fan of digitizing documents that we don't necessarily need to keep. You know, like car repair records, stuff like that, and shedding a lot of the, the paper in our life, shrinking our physical footprint so that we don't have boxes of crap that we carry around. You might remember I'm a fan of uh, those guys, the minimalists. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check those guys out. They just got me on a path of keeping it light. And I think it's, I veered from the path for a while and I've started to accumulate too much stuff. So I need to get rid of some of it. Like I say, some of those records and some of the gear uh, will start appearing on my reverb.com page and uh, link will be in the show notes. That's it. Thanks for hearing me out. Drink more coffee. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pres to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're 
incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Jordan Richter here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Your story is a bit different, and I think it's a super relevant story. You had some concerns about if it would be relevant in your emails between us, and so to bring a little clarity to this, can you talk about ultimately what it is now that you're doing and where you've come from in a uh, kind of an abridged version. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've been doing nothing but engineering and then, you know, some guitar playing for 25 plus years full time. I've owned a bunch of mid-sized studios in Chicago area, Nashville and Portland, Oregon. What I'm doing now, what I decided to pursue about a year ago is software engineering and programming signed up for code school almost exactly a year ago and just got a job in tech up to a week ago. About a week ago. Wow. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. So you've shifted gears and recording, the world of recording is no longer the focal point of your, your career. Right. Yeah. I still have a studio in Portland that I rent out to other engineers. I still spend a fair amount of time here kind of enjoying why I got into this in the first place, just enjoying music. And I've found so far, at least, that when it's not my principal way of earning income, it becomes a lot more fun and a lot more relaxed. I never saw myself doing anything other than something music industry related, and I never thought I'd get out of recording, for sure. I thought that would always be kind of like a steady, you know, I might venture out and do some touring, or I might play in some bands, but I'd always, recording was what I was good at, and it's 
what I knew and I never saw myself leaving it. And now that I have, I think I enjoy doing the small amounts that I do of, of recording. I think I enjoy that a lot more than I, than I did back when I was doing it professionally. What started you down this path of even considering getting out of recording? The last several years have been really tough as far as financially. The music industry, at least in Portland, is, and there's plenty of music being made here, but a lot of it, you know, like everywhere, is being made in home studios. And I'd say my studio is a, a couple steps above that, but it's not like Ocean Way or something where I attract huge clients from all around the world. I mean, I have clients that I've worked with that come in from out of town that work with me here. But about a year ago, almost exactly, like I said, my wife and I were looking at our finances and she said, I might have to get a different job. What can I do? She said that about herself. And she was looking at all these things like, oh, software developers make a decent living and there's schools or you can go to for six months to a year and get certifications and get into that field. And that just led me to thinking, oh, maybe I could do that. Because I was getting more and more burned out from clients on the more needy end of the spectrum <laughs> that seems like the less they pay you, the more they need. And <laughs> I felt like all the money I made was going back into the studio. And I just thought, well, what the hell? I'll try something new for a little bit. If I don't like it, it's not like, I, not like I'm losing anything. So, yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Just... Like I said, I haven't sold any gear. I haven't closed my doors. I just am not here very often. And uh, my overhead's low enough where I can make enough to keep the doors open to a certain extent without having to slave away all the time mm -hmm. to keep the studio kind of self-sustaining. But I don't need it for my income. It ultimately relieves a lot of pressure by having a full-time day gig. And you aren't at that point yet where you've been in software development or, or coding for an extended period of time. You, you've just kind of stepped off into that career. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that there's a lot of evaluation that will take place. And you could very well come back or you could go even deeper. Yeah, I'm kind of open to whatever happens. It's a, a pretty fortunate place to be in. I didn't know how long it would take for me to get a job, and I, I feel like I lucked out that it, it only took about a month or so. So that's pretty cool. And it's I'm making about the same as I did with music, but I don't have to invest it all back into the studio. It's pretty cool. Take me back to where audio became relevant in your life from a professional standpoint. Yeah. I started recording in high school on a Tascam 424 four-track cassette recorder, making demos with a drum machine and recording guitar direct and bouncing everything down to one track, recording three more tracks or two more tracks and bouncing that to another track and just doing my own music. And then after a while, other people liked my little demos. And this is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I came up. I w had been doing a lot of live sound at the time too. Mm -hmm. And I started hanging out with other, I mean, we were basically kids. I mean, a bunch of teenagers, maybe I was 20 by the time I started hanging out with a friend of mine that had gone to the recording workshop, our friend Daniel Holter. Oh, yeah. And he offered to record my band, and he and I had played in bands together. 
So just watching him and what he had learned with recording just convinced me even more that it's something I wanted to do. Fast forward a bunch of years after touring with some bands, I moved to Nashville kind of at the prompting of some friends of mine and kind of got to work right away, working with assisting for Russ Long and working with Rick Elias, producer down there. Yeah, I did a lot of overdubs at first at kind of studios all over town. That gradually led into full tracking sessions after you know, they trusted me with, with the full band and expensive session players. Yeah, kind of went from there. In 2006, my family and I left Nashville for Portland, Oregon. When I got here, I jumped right back in with working at Larry Crane's place, Jackpot. Jackpot. I've worked there. And it, was this at the early incarnation? This was at the, the yeah, later? this was at the first one. Okay. Low ceilings, lots of purple. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, quite the professional culture shock, I guess, to move from Nashville to Portland because, you know, in Nashville, I was used to charging a certain amount and having that be kind of in the mid-range of what engineers charge. And I moved out here to Portland and no one charged anywhere near that. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to reevaluate some things. What prompted that move from Nashville to Portland? A lot of it was burnout, kind of the same type of thing, just kind of sick of the industry, tired of doing of just the the grind of engineering in that setting. My wife is from Nashville, and she wanted to leave just because she hadn't. And we had a two-year-old at the time, and we didn't want to raise him in the South. It was during the Bush years. So we visited Portland, loved it, and said, what the hell? We'll just move out here. <laughs> That's kind of what we did. Did a few last sessions. I think I did a couple remote mixes. Yeah, kind of just severed ties, not with friends, but with, kind of with my career in that world. And moved up here and started really enjoying music again. Kind of a similar thing, just recording for the pure joy of it and hand-selecting bands I wanted to work with. Financially, it was difficult, but musically and artistically, it was super satisfying. And it re-energized me personally and career-wise. Yep. I've been to Portland a large number of times, and it's a great place. And culturally, it kind of reminds me of San Francisco when I first moved to San Francisco in, in the late 80s. Mm. Kind of has a lower cost of living, lots of music going on, lots of art going on, lots of cool restaurants. And it still reminds me of that when I go there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Although I see some signs that things are changing, but sure. Definitely, yeah. People talk about how much it's changed, which is true, but all you have to do is leave for a weekend and, and come back and you kind of realize how, how good we have it here. How did you find it from a networking perspective with other engineers, just kind of peers and, and fellow engineers to commiserate with or, or plot the takeover of the world with? Yeah, I mean, I had quite a few audio engineer friends in Nashville. This is, I moved kind of right before Facebook left Nashville kind of right then. So it wasn't as easy to keep in touch with people as it is now. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've reconnected since with friends like Shane Wilson, J.R. McNeely, Russ Long, like I said. When I got to Portland, I gave Larry Crane a call and he was so incredibly generous just with his time and with his resources. He ended up getting me some gigs and it was just really cool. And then I maybe 
a year or two into living here, I connected with Justin Phelps, who's Bay Area yeah. guy. Yeah. Again, super generous and kind of brought me on as a studio partner at a, at a couple different places we, we had together. It was difficult, and this isn't anyone specific at all. This is definitely my baggage. It's difficult getting over the sense of competition and mm. getting over the sense of scarcity where you, you feel like, oh, there's only so many clients and a bunch of engineers, so I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to, and I saw this in Nashville all the time where engineers would kind of knock other people out of the way to get the gigs. You know, not as a rule, but it definitely happened a lot. That's something I really struggled with myself, just that feeling of, hey, is there enough work for everybody? And if I'm friends with other engineers, in some way, should I keep my distance? Are they the competition or are they comrades? Are they, you know, are they part of the community? And it took me a while to, I think part of that is maturity and just being confident in my own abilities, but it took a while to see them as colleagues as opposed to competition. Did you find that it was difficult to survive in spite of there being a lower cost of living in Portland? Well, actually, I don't even know. How is the cost of living of Portland versus Nashville? I think it was probably a little higher back when we moved here in 2006. And now I think it's about even. It might be a little, still a little cheaper in Nashville. So it was kind of a big risk to just move here. But yeah, it, it was difficult to make a living. I had to work a lot. I went into debt, caused a lot of marital strife, and just kind of trying to keep our heads above water. And one thing that no one ever told me, which seems obvious in hindsight, is you definitely need to know how to record, but you need to be a business person too, if, especially if you're going to be freelance. It's not a lot of studios anymore that have staff handle your taxes and payroll for you and invoicing. You know, that's something that you need to do as an engineer. And it's something I don't feel like I ever really got a good grasp on and just basic business stuff how to make decisions like, oh, that's a cool piece of gear. I should buy it. Like, well, do you need it? Is it going to earn you any money? You know, that whole thing. Definitely a, a learning curve that I wish if I had those skills years earlier, I would definitely have been better off than I was. Interesting. And so do you think that that, that lack of business acumen then ultimately led you down the path to where you're at now making a change? Yeah, I think some of it. You know, the, also the financial and artistic dissatisfaction. Yeah, I, th I think, like, I didn't know what a business plan was when I you know, started. <laughs> I just thought, oh, let's just make some music. You buy a bunch of cool mics and preamps, and uh, there you go. And, oh, I just got paid $1,000. I'm rich. I'm going to buy uh, yeah. a $1,200 mic and <laughs> put the $200 on a credit card. Like, that gets you into trouble pretty quickly. So... Oh, you're speaking the truth here. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've talked to so many people, to so many engineers and musicians that this is kind of what we do. And I mean, and all the, every single magazine or group online is geared towards making us want more stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally guilty of it. And it's, it's also great to have stuff. So it's, it's hard to tell where you need to draw the line, where you let the business earn enough money to where you can actually afford the stuff. Or if you want to put it on a credit card and go horribly into debt, thinking that that's going to make you incredibly successful. I don't know. I've, I've gone broke a few times and I'm 
I'm not in debt currently, and I want it to stay that way. Yeah, it's a magical thing when you get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Well, so at this point in time, are you still invested financially or gear-wise in any studios in Portland? Yeah, I've got a studio called Room 13 Recording. Got a, the normal gear, the stuff you need to make records. And I've toyed with kind of that all-in or all-out type of mentality where it's like, well, screw this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to sell all, this, all the gear and really dive into coding. And I kind of came around to where I like having the studio. It gets used by other engineers, which is cool. I never meant for it to be that kind of studio. I always wanted it to be just for myself. And I started, it started out as a mix room, then it grew into a tracking or overdub room, and then it grew into a tracking room. And now I'm renting it out to other engineers, and I have no idea how that all happened. But yeah, I maintain the gear and keep everything going and help out outside engineers who come in here. But most of the people that come in are pretty well vetted and are real self sufficient. And I'm no longer buying new gear for the studio. I'm just kind of keeping it going as is, maintaining things. I'll update software as needed, but I'm not buying new compressors or anything at this point. Just kind of letting it earn its keep. The rent is fairly low where I am. If I'm able to leave it open for other people to use and for the bands I'm in to make records, that's cool. Where you're at right now, are you at home or are you at room 13? Room 13. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you maintain any kind of gear at home, any kind of Pro Tools rig? I don't. Rig? No. Okay. That's one thing, that too, the work-life balance that kind of the last maybe three years, I really made it a point to, and this wasn't always possible, but as much as possible, work eight-hour days. Like the rest of the world does it. And I know that, you know, if you're charging like 1200 a day for a room, no one's going to be happy paying that for an eight-hour day. But on this level where it's like a few hundred bucks, like, well, the guy that's renting the studio from me, he works his day job. He works eight-hour days. Why should I work more than that also? And that was really liberating in that it kind of gave me back my family life. Yeah, I wasn't here 12 hours or 14 hours, like, you know, in the early days. And by and large, the clients didn't seem to mind. They kind of appreciated it. Hmm. And, you know, again, I was charging fair rate. Yeah, it worked out. I think it, my buddy Roscoe Hamble kind of put that in my head when we, I was working with him on a, a session a bunch of years ago. He's a producer in, out of New York. Just the eight-hour day thing for studio stuff just made so much sense because you, you don't seem to get that much more done after that amount of time I found, at least not to the quality that you do for the first eight hours. Mm. Obviously, there's exceptions where you have to set up and all that, but like just vocal days, there's no way you're going to get more than eight hours worth of, out of a vocalist. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And, it, and it just saves you from burnout. And I would say that switching to coding while well, I'm not burned out, like the first time I when I left Nashville... I felt completely burned out on music and recording, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, that lasted about a month, but still, I just kind of resented it, which is really strange. <laughs> but that was that was what I the tendency. <laughs> and this time, as I'm either taking a break from it or stopping it altogether, I still love doing it. I can still hold on to that aspect of it and and not, again, what I was saying before, not needing to make it an either-or situation, being able to hold my love for 
audio and music has a separate thing from how I make my living is quite freeing. Definitely changes the the relationship that you have with it. And it seems along the way that you ultimately have found out really what's important to you and course corrected as you've gone further and further down the line as far as your time in Portland Mm -hmm. and learned from those past lessons and mistakes. And now you're at this new frontier of coding, which now I've got a million other questions where in some ways this could lead to, it makes me think, well, have you thought about coding for audio software companies? and Definitely. And working for audio companies and keeping your hand in it that way. Yeah, I'd love to build plugins. I mean, there's so many companies that I admire, like Universal Audio and Sound Toys that just have great things, great products. I would love to figure out how to combine this new career with music in in some way. I'm such a novice at coding at this point. Yeah, I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm just kind of hanging on and learning as I go, which is how you do it. Kind of like music in in some ways. You just dive in, fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) But I would, I would definitely love to combine my new career with my old one. When you went to school for it, what ultimately does one study to do that? Oh, we started with just basic computer knowledge, which most of which I knew, but it was nice to get kind of a refresher course on terminology. We study basic HTML and CSS for and JavaScript for building websites, and it goes on from that to uh, database languages and, and then full-on programming languages like Python and C Sharp. Then you do a lot of hands-on practical work in kind of mock work environments. Yeah, do that for a couple months and they kind of put you out there in job placement and yeah, <laughs> let you fly from the nest. Are there any kind of similarities to recording schools based on what you know? I never went to a recording school I think so. I think in a lot of ways, it seemed like with this, at least this program that I was in, they teach you how to find out what you need to know and the kind of the fundamentals of where to start from, but very few details. So in, in some ways, yeah, I'm not sure if it's like recording schools or not. Hmm. I think in some ways it's coding is a little bit like recording and that it's incredibly creative and lots of troubleshooting, lots of problem solving, just lots of kind of creative approaches to things you've never encountered before is Hmm. I found to be kind of to use a similar muscle, so to speak. But you've recently been hired Mm -hmm. to code for a small company, a big company? A small company in Portland. And because it's a small company, everyone's kind of doing everything. So there's some coding involved, some business type stuff, which when I think of business, I always think of Kids in the Hall, AT and Love, kind of the generic company that they invented (laughs) for all their business scenarios where you never actually know what they're doing. A week in, it feels a little bit like that, (laughs) where there's like analytics and spreadsheets and like, okay, I don't know what any of that is, but I'll, I'm on board. We'll do whatever. Jump in for the ride. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. 
And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. You, you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, you, you'd never really dealt with business in the recording world yeah. as a business. Now that you're freeing yourself up a bit, have you considered truly treating Room 13 as a business venture that's a side business? Yeah, I have. I, I think about that a lot and just kind of ways to, again, as I learn more about how this business is, the business I'm working for is run, I'm getting a lot of ideas on how to treat the studio as, as a more bona fide side business as opposed to just pay me such and such amount of money and I'll record your band and that money probably just gets spent on more guitars or something (laughs) (laughs) as opposed to investing some in the business, being able to actually take home some money. And do you foresee, in spite of going down this coding path, continuing to work with bands like once in a great while? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm playing with a group of people in a band right now that absolutely adore and there's another guy that it's kind of the only record i've made this year i've worked with this artist off and on for years and made a record with him this year i'll definitely continue working with with him and this other band that i'm in and yeah there's a there's a bunch of bands that i think it would be a lot more pure recording them without the need to make money off of it i don't know if that makes any sense but just kind of taking commerce out of the equation. I mean, obviously I, I'm not going to do it for free because it is my time, but if it's something I can, that's more of a passion thing than a commerce thing, I could see doing music for the love of it as opposed to for the necessity of you know paying the rent. And I, there are a few bands that I've been talking to, you know, it'll be evenings and weekends, but I definitely want to record, make some records next year. I went from making probably a dozen records a year to one this past year. So I haven't stepped out of it entirely, but it's pretty close. It's a hard thing to quit. It is a hard thing to quit because once, you, once you've been in it, and I'm sure you've analyzed this too, that coding is going to have its shitty time oh, at sure. some point where you're making money, but you're burnt and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, let's go make a record. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, it's definitely not an easier path than recording, but it, I'm enjoying the challenge and it's it's pushing me to grow in, in ways that I never would have if I kept doing the same thing I was doing for 25 years. Yeah, definitely has prevented atrophy as far as habits and it keeps pushing me to learn. What you do in recording, I, I mean, I never felt, I felt like I was incredibly competent and somewhat of an expert, you know, in recording and mixing and tracking and mixing. But I had always felt like I was learning something, which I, I never felt like I arrived, which I think is important. You can't ever know all there is to know about a craft. And I think switching over to a new discipline in coding is giving me a new appreciation for audio and is making me see it from an outsider's perspective, but with the expertise that I've built up over the years. So it's pretty cool. Like with a, when I do recordings now, like I said, it's, I mean, I probably have one day a month session wise where it used to be six days a week, but I find I, pro, I approach those sessions differently and am able to pay attention 
and be present for them in a way that I wasn't for quite a long time. Yeah, it, I think this whole thing is a is a great, it's almost like a palate cleanser, you know? I think mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to give you a chance to really, as you said, see it from a different perspective and keep it fresh for you. But also, you have a family, mm-hmm. and how many kids do you have? We have one kid. Okay. And so, as a parent, I certainly recognize that you got to make some money. You got to, like, keep the family, like, solid. Yeah. Well, the situation we've been in for the last few years is uh, that my wife's been making enough money to support us, which is great in some ways. But, you know, I felt like with the studio, I was making, it feels like I've been, and not just feels like it has been, making just a little bit less every year. Mm even though I'm working just as hard as I always have been. And she had a scare, like I said, about a year ago where she thought maybe she wouldn't have her job anymore, which got me into looking at something like, well, what could I do that would be more steady than a freelance audio engineer slash studio owner? And now the whole situation financially feels a lot more equitable because I'm not pouring all my money back into feeding the beast <laughs> that to keep the studio <laughs> at a level where I'm satisfied with it, which is, as you know, it's kind of a never-ending quest. And just being able to take care of my family, if something happens to her job, uh, that I have I have something steady that can take care of the family. And that's a, that's a big, that's a big relief. Yeah. Because I've, I've been f- hustling for 25 years, like I said, and not that I can just rest on this, but it's kind of, kind of a nice break to be employed by somebody else and be able to get a paycheck reliably. Yeah. And what about health insurance? We'll see. If they extend my contract, that's definitely something we'll be doing. We've been getting it through the marketplace, which has been okay. But yeah, the, since I'm so new at coding, they just put gave me like a three-month contract with the hope that after that, they'll hire me permanently and with full benefits. And yeah, that'll be great when that happens. Well, and it's not like jobs for coding are drawing up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of that in Portland. And lots of that all over the world. Yeah, true. If we're talking globally speaking, you know, you can yeah, apply your, it's, your it's, craft everywhere. Yeah. So do you see any reason why you would just close the doors at Room 13 and sell your gear? God, I don't know. I mean, I, I've thought about that a lot. I think I'll, I want to leave it open as long as it's fun, as long as it pays for itself. And... I think if the rent got raised or something like that, I'd consider closing it. But I don't know. I I know the first time I closed my studio in Nashville and moved out to Portland, it was really heartbreaking because I had put so much time and so much love into it. And I, I, I don't see, you know, unless we need to for financial reasons, I don't see any reason to close it because I still really like having a place to listen to music on my Adam speakers and through good converters and, you know, (laughs) in a treated room. And and I love having a place that I can rehearse and record rehearsals and do demos without much effort. And I don't know, a year ago, I was ready to sell everything. But now Mm -hmm. I I, now I kind of don't want to. You know, it's a very, um, it's a juxtaposition of you and my former WCA guest, uh, Scott Evans, who's been on a couple times. Scott, worked as a coder Mm. for a number of years and has just left his day job Mm -hmm. to do recording full-time. That's the normal path. (laughs) I I don't know. It cracks me up just thinking about the course of my life over the last few years. Just like I've been doing what so many 
people with so-called day jobs aspire to, I've kind of been living the dream to some extent, at least from outside perspective, I think. So it, it kind of cracks me up that like my big goal is to get an office job. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. <laughs> get out of this music thing and finally, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, again, I never would have predicted this. The grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Well, will you maintain a web presence as an audio engineer or will that cease to exist? I plan to. Like I said, there's a handful of clients that I still want to work with and if somebody contacts me who I listen to their stuff or am a fan of theirs. I definitely want to be able to to record. And I think there's a certain flexibility with coding, not as much as I've been able to do, but I can still make my own schedule to a certain extent. So if something comes along that musically that's that I'm passionate about, I'm going to do it. And then for all you know, you'll get some like huge hit record and that'll just change everything. <laughs> going to screw up all your coding plans. I, I gave up trying to figure out life. I mean, just, yeah, I'd love that. How would you categorize this this move into coding? Is this just a move out of, out of necessity or is it a move out of curiosity or both? I would say curiosity mostly because earlier in my career, and I, I encountered this a lot in Nashville, that you're either all in or you're a hobbyist. Mm. And if you're not making your living from music, you're making vanity records, or it's somehow less legit than somebody who has a job during the week and makes music on the weekends. And I kind of lived by that for so long. And so getting a day job for me is in part curiosity just to see what is that like? Was recording my calling and I'm abandoning that? Who am I without engineering being my thing? Because it's, it's pretty cool to say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a recording engineer. That's pretty cool to say. It is, yeah. And if I don't have that, who am I? That's definitely a question I'm asking. And the only way to fully explore that is to change over into something else. It's been kind of fun just to kind of reinvent myself and, and see where that goes. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's a, it is a bit of an identity crisis that, you know, fortunately, you're older and you can make mature decisions about it and look at it from a mature perspective. But if you were younger, it might be a little different. I always reflect back to 
leaving my very first band that I was in that was comprised of childhood friends from my hometown and then leaving that band was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm leaving the nest. Mm-hmm. And there is a bit of an identity wrapped up in whatever it is. You know, if you're in a band, it's like, well, I'm a member of this band. And if I'm an audio engineer, I'm an audio engineer. And, and, and that's what I do. But I think the more mature perspective of it is, is you're still an audio engineer, but now you're a coder too. Mm-hmm. And you truly are doing what you're, although you're putting a lot of focus into being a coder. On this show, I talk a lot about diversification, about doing mm. a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that to make up your living so that, you know, audio engineering's getting a little slim. Coding picks up the rest. Definitely. And maybe at some point coding might even drop down a little bit and that's when audio is going to step in and be there when you need it. Yeah. And again, I'm open to anything. I feel extremely fortunate to be in a position where I, I can choose. I understand that a lot of people aren't in that position, but I if I decide I didn't want to do coding tomorrow, I could go back to being an engineer. But I think diversifying is kind of the way to do it because, I mean, that way you don't get stuck in a rut and you're also able to weather downturns and slowdowns in work and on one field or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good thing in my situation. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a year or two in, throw up your hands and go, you know what? I'm going to be a mastering engineer. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, nothing would surprise me. Sometimes it's best not to try to plan it all out, that which is life, and just let it happen. Exactly. What's funny is that since deciding to follow this path, there are, in my school, there was another audio engineer from the area in my coding school, switching to that line of work. And one of the instructors in the school also was an engineer for years, (laughs) recording engineer. And two of my engineer friends in in Nashville have also switched to coding. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the number of people I've talked to say, oh yeah, this so-and-so used to be a audio engineer and now he's doing software. Like, okay, so it does make a little bit of sense at least to handful of other people that I've talked to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're leaving, but you're not totally leaving. Exactly. Well, so if people are interested in Room 13, there's a website, I assume? Yeah. It's uh, room13recording.com. 13 is a number as opposed to spelled out. So yeah, room13recording.com. And yeah, the information's on there. And it's a great little super comfortable space to record in. And anyone that wants to come up to Portland is always welcome and be great to have you. Yeah. Do you have the rates posted or is that? Yeah, the rates rates are posted. Yes, and they're negotiable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I've got a handful of house engineers too that I'd like to have at least assisting if I'm not available. Yeah, that I'll I'll recommend certain people uh, to engineer here. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to Room 13 recording so the audience can check that out. Well, Jordan, I wish you the best of luck. You know, it's uh, like I say... You're leaving, but you're not totally leaving. So I guess I'm not sad for you. I'm cheering for you because I think that you're on to something new and exciting for yourself. Yeah, it feels that way. Thank you. So I will follow up with you at at another point and kind of find out how's it going. I would love that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for making time for me. You take care and thanks for being with me here today. All right. I appreciate it. Jordan Richter. Here on the Working Class Audio Podcast, thanks so much for being here with me today. Certainly appreciate it. 
Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show. That includes Anne Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his silky smooth voice introducing me at the beginning. As I always say, spread the word to all of your pro audio friends. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.